Coach, if you struggle with parents in your program, whether you are a coach at the college level, the high school level, or youth level, be sure to get a copy of my latest book, The Sports Parent Solution, Proven Strategies for Transforming Parents from Obstacles to Allies. The groundbreaking book gives you the strategies and methods you need to transform the parent culture in your team, allowing you to better support each athlete's growth, improve your team's performance, and create an extraordinary experience for all involved, all while taking your program to a whole new level. It's available on Amazon and Apple Books. You can learn more about it and download the bonuses at my website, tocculture.com. Coaching in 2023, soon to be 2024, honestly, it can be scary at times. The pressure to win or else be fired has grown for most coaches. On top of that, expectations of us to provide a great experience for every athlete have risen. If an athlete isn't enjoying their experience, we are often the one who gets the blame. Uh, but not just the blame, we can receive really harsh criticism from parents of athletes. The athlete can choose to just jump ship the moment it gets tough. And our administration often holds us accountable for the athlete experience, not just for winning. Now, while I'm definitely a huge fan of holding coaches accountable for unhealthy behaviors in coaching, destructive methods, and I also believe we have a responsibility to our athletes to create a good culture, a great culture, the reality is, that as expectations have risen for us as coaches, support hasn't increased in most situations. Coaches are just expected to figure it out. And that's why I started this podcast back in 2017, to give coaches practical ways to grow as a leader and improve their culture, to help them to meet the demands of coaching in today's world. Today on the podcast, we're going to share part two of our conversation with Betsy Butterick, who is a very experienced leadership coach and a communication specialist. Fortunately for you, she isn't just going to be our guest today, but you'll be hearing a lot more of her voice and learning from her in the coming year as she joins the podcast as our new co-host in 2024. In today's conversation, we're going to talk about the increasing demands and expectations of coaches and learn how about coaches need more support. And one of those ways is through coaching itself. Welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast, the podcast to help you grow as a leader and build a better culture. I'm JP Nurbin. I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Nate Sanderson. In addition to this podcast, I'm a leadership coach and culture consultant. To learn more about how my business, TOC, can support you and your organization, visit TOCculture.com. Now, you shared earlier, and I kind of want to shift gears here. So you have this amazing experience coaching. You are nailing it culturally. You guys are winning. You said if you were still in coaching today, you'd probably still be coaching with Heidi. And yet you felt something and even said like you felt it in your chest, pulling you out of coaching because you realized you, there was coaching outside of sports. Take us a little bit down that journey and that path. And, you know, when you had that realization and, 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 and some of those, those initial moves. Yeah, the, the realization came, I was my third year at Oxy with Heidi and we had taken a trip to the Bay Area for a tournament. And after one of our games, there was a voicemail on my phone from our athletic director who had come with us on the trip to meet with some, some donors and alumni in the area. And the voicemail said, you know, Betsy, if Heidi says it's okay, I want you to take the minivan, drive into the city, there's somebody that I want you to meet. And so I drove up into San Francisco. It was an iconic, rainy, dark, cold San Francisco night. I pull up to this whiskey bar and in the back at a dimly lit table is my athletic director and this other woman. And I walk up to the table and my AD says, Betsy, this is Sue. 
Sue Coach's leaders, I think you have a lot to talk about. And that was the exact moment in time where I was first aware that coaching was something that existed outside of sport. From there, the journey for me bent starting to research different opportunities to get my coaching certification. What did that look like? For me personally, I steered away from programs that were so-and-so's methodology of coaching. No offense to the so-and-so, but for me, I'd had enough experience with people to know that if I was going to coach the way that I thought I wanted to and a way that I thought was valuable, I had to approach it in a similar way that I did from coaching sport as far as I need to meet someone where they are and then adapt the way that I work with them to fit what's best for them and not simply plug and play of, well, we're going to do these steps because that's part of so-and-so's coaching methodology. So that pursuit landed me at a place in San Francisco called New Ventures West. I chose them for their coaching methodology, core questions, who am I, what am I to do, how am I to serve? And over the course of the year, they taught us various methodologies or models for coaching so that we had that that diverse arsenal to draw from when it was time to take action. And we spent the first six months getting coached and then the second six months taking on guest coaches. So the work was really developing the body, the container, the capacity to coach other people and then doing that work and starting to see what that looked like. And I remember very, very clearly um, at the end of our first four days together. So the, the cohort of 20 met four times in person throughout the year four days at a time, 10 hour days. So you're doing 40 hours of work each time we met in person. The end of the fourth day, the first time we met in San Francisco, the staff of three that was coaching our cohort went around the room and each person was given their challenge for the year, okay? And so I was so excited and I was one of the last to go just based on where I was sitting. The woman next to me, she was Indian and she, uh, she culturally of her own admission had been the dutiful daughter within her culture, within her family. And so she was given her task for the year was a year of orgasmic pleasure. And I was like, great, I'm so excited to see what comes up for me. And what I was given was my task for the year was to sit with suffering, my own or other people's, without moving to fix it or change it. And right then, I mean, the pit of my stomach just dropped. I think in part because I knew that's what I needed. And also because I've been avoiding that for so much of my life. For so much of my life, I was someone who, who prided themselves on being very positive, of cheering others up, so to speak, when they were down. And what I realized in my work at New Ventures West is when I try to cheer someone up, when I try to move them out of the space that, that I find them in, that's more about me than it is about them. It's more about my discomfort with where they are as opposed to what's true for them. There's likely one, if not several reasons why they're in that place. The work I needed to do was developing the ability, the capacity to meet them there, to sit with my own discomfort and then move forward. And so in order to practice sitting with suffering, my own or others, without moving to fix it or change it, I engaged in practices like watching very dark or depressing movies. Um, I remember there was a, an exit off the LA freeway where I was living at the time where there were always homeless individuals. Um, and I had a practice of not making eye contact because I felt so much when I would, when I would look at these people who were without a home. And so even just for me making eye contact, you know, acknowledging them, giving a smile, um, letting myself feel all the feelings that came up in making that observation and having that interaction. 
um, there was a children's hospital near where I lived and I would go and sit in the waiting room of the children's hospital, which is like, and now as a mom, I can't imagine being in that space and experiencing what those parents were actually experiencing. And yet that's some of the, those are some of the environments that I put myself in to learn to be okay with not being okay. And while it was incredibly painful and difficult to do, it was absolutely necessary to cultivate my capacity to meet people where they are. And without moving to fix or change anything, can I first welcome them into that shared space? Can I first understand what has been involved in their journey to get them to that place? And then be curious about where they'd like to go and how I might help and support. Coach, don't forget to subscribe to the TOC newsletter. Every Thursday, you'll receive a short article You'll also receive the notes to each episode of the podcast, as well as our top 10 podcast episodes and my top 10 articles. Subscribe using the link in the description of this episode or simply go to tocculture.com and click on newsletter. That, that Your story there, I mean, it's really, really powerful. I resonate with it in so many ways. You know, my executive leadership coaching program at Georgetown, similar thing. You know, you're going out there, you're beginning this certification to become a coach. And through that process, there's things you learn about yourself, right? Because you're doing so it's so much of these this peer coaching and getting coached by other people as well, and uh, so profound of an experience. But one of the things that it also taught me going through the program was there is a little bit of this difference between coaching and and, and mentoring. I think a lot of times people say, "Oh, you know, I'm coaching these people," but it might actually look more like um, what would be defined as, as a mentoring or kind of a consulting type thing. From your perspective, could you kind of, for the listeners, define what is the difference between, you know, the coaching that you do with coaches and then the traditional kind of mentor coach, coach champ approach that oftentimes is just very organic and natural in, you know, coaching circles and, and, and I mean, in sports coaching circles. Yeah, fabulous question and, and a complex one. Similarly, I hear the words used interchangeably in many contexts. What I've noticed as some differences between the two in my work and just through life experience has been when someone seeks a mentor, they're often looking for someone in the same path or on a parallel path to what it is that they want to do or achieve. So I'm going to reach out to uh, you know Tara. Tara would be a great mentor. She has been a mentor for me. Um, another mentor of mine, Sue Enquist. So different sport, legendary softball coach from UCLA, but I'm seeking to learn from their experience in ways that I can apply it to my own experience. So for me, that's a lot of what mentoring is. We seek older or more experienced individuals to help us do more of what we want to do based off of the experiences that they've had, the expertise that they've gained over time. How that's different for me from coaching is in a coaching capacity, it's less about my experience and more about how I help an individual do more of what they want to do. So in any coaching engagement, it's not about me. And this is part of what I love about coaching coaches. Had a question early in my career. Someone said, well, Betsy, you've never been a head coach. So how are you qualified to coach head coaches? And I said, I think that's actually one of the things that makes me uniquely qualified is what I can't do is tell a head coach what I would do or what I've done as a head coach. So in not having that experience, I have to approach from a different angle through curiosity, through questioning, through being able to reflect back to them information that they're giving me and help broaden perspective, create awareness, offer tools that are in support of what they want to do. 
So it's really for me, the mentoring process is how do I learn from someone and what they've experienced to do more of what I want to do in the coaching process? It's for me as a coach, how do I learn as much as I can about this person so that I can help them do more of what they want to do, but it's not about or based in anything that I've already done. It's using tools and abilities that I have to be able to help them through conversation, do more, achieve more of what they want to do. You have opportunities to have one-on-ones with athletes as well as coaches. And when you're immersed in a program, you know, typically we're working with the head coach. And I often wonder, what are the players really thinking? You know, and in some ways, I think you have an avenue there to facilitate maybe better conversation between coaches and players. With your work kind of in both spaces, what are the biggest obstacles that separate understanding from a coach to a player perspective and vice versa? I think you you almost named it there. That is the biggest gap is the idea that they're two separate entities. And yes, they are because coaches can't play. Athletes aren't coaching. And I often get the question, well, whose side are you really on, right? If I'm working with a program as a whole, are you, are you on the coach's side or are you on the athlete's side? And the answer I most often get is neither. I'm on the side of the program. So how do I have conversations and what does support look like for all members of the program? Because that's what's most important for me. Does it look differently depending on the role that someone occupies in the program? Yes. But to your point, Nate, that, that's exactly, I'll say, where some of the more connective elements of the work that I get to do if I am working with a program as a whole. When I'm sitting in a staff meeting and I'm listening to some of the challenges that an individual coach or a staff has with an athlete, and then when I'm sitting with that athlete in a one-on-one meeting and I'm listening to some of the things that they're sharing about what they perceive their current challenges or roadblocks to be, and we're having conversations about what support looks like for them, I can then maybe offer a different perspective to the coaching staff and say, hey, this thing that, that you're labeling or judging as, let's say, laziness or a lack of engagement might it be that there's something else going on for this individual? And, and have you asked, you know, has anyone checked in on that? My responsibility is always to both to, to remain, I don't want to say neutral because I'm passionate about supporting both, but to protect the integrity of, of every conversation. So never sharing what's not mine to share. And sometimes it happens where an athlete will bring something up and I'll say, I feel like this would be really important information for your coach to know. Have you made them aware that this is going on for you? And they might say no. And I'll say, okay, is this something that you want to share? Or I might say, is this something that you would be comfortable with me sharing? Or is this something that you would like to to share together to your coach or the coaching staff? So giving them avenues for choice, helping identify between the two parties that, that there's opportunities for greater understanding. And that's really a lot of the work that I do is how do we how do we shorten the distance between intention and impact? Hey, I coach want to support you. And I'm really frustrated that you're doing this thing. Hey, I player really want to play well. And it's super frustrating that you're judging me for this thing. So, okay, where are we missing each other? And how by being an objective third party, can I bring people into closer relation, into better connection by facilitating shared understanding, and then perhaps also offering supportive tools so that they get to maintain that or improve that relationship separate from whenever I'm, I'm with them. Yeah. And you've, you've just in our relationship in the last few months have really challenged me to start leaning into some more of those one-on-ones with athletes because of that. I, I see so much value in that. Um, I've been doing one-on-ones with staff for years because there's a lot of staff culture dynamic is, is, is really 
important and, 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 you know, has to be nurtured um, as well as the team culture. Um, and, you know, I've done 360 feedback, you know, with, with people, with athletes for years, but there's gotta be so much value in just you sitting down and even having that connection as an outsider and listening, you know, and just the impact I imagine that has on the athlete is, is quite profound, you know? It's interesting to me. I had an, an experience where there was an individual who was a senior member of a team and she had made up her mind that her coach saw her in a certain way. And when I talked with the coach, that was not at all the impression that I got from the coach. So separate conversations over the course of a couple months. And then I remember towards the end of the season, this individual called me very upset, the athlete and said, Betsy, I've, I've kind of had it, you know, and I'm thinking about bringing this to the administration coach was saying things and it just proves that they, they see me in this way. And I said, well, how do you know, you know, what, what proof do you have? What's the conversation you're ready to have with the administration? And she said, well, in confidence, I actually recorded the conversation. So I'm happy to send it to you if, if you're willing to listen. And what was fascinating JP is in listening to that conversation, I heard nothing of what this individual had heard. But that's where we, we find ourselves challenged in communication and relationships is when we're only listening for certain things or when we've tuned our listening ear to only pick up on certain things and to discount or not even hear other things, we lack objectional clarity. And so being able to, to mirror back to that person, hey, I understand for you that conversation was really upsetting. Are you open to hearing my take on, on what I heard? You know, what I heard is this, what I heard is this, what I heard is this. Is it possible that that was the intention and not, you know, a malicious intent like you first mentioned? And is this something that you would be willing to, to objectively share with your administration if you choose to do so? So just creating, again, that, that perspective, that understanding, those are hallmarks of, of the work that I get to do is how do we get out of our own way and in doing so collectively get more of what we're aspiring to achieve together, both from the, the athlete perspective and also the coach perspective. I'll add to that the best cultures, the best quality cultures, and also by proxy, some of the highest performing individuals and teams within those cultures have great relationships. They have that understanding. They're in that practice of if something doesn't land right, we're checking it out with each other. Before we go making, you know, mountains out of molehills, so to speak, we're having the conversations about the things that are challenging for us. We're creating of our own accord that, that clarity that we need to then focus our attention back on the things that really matter for our sport. And, and that story you shared of your conversations with that athlete, that's just another example of the power of coaching, like leadership coaching, where you're helping to just kind of evoke awareness of the stories that we often tell ourselves. So, so often, even as leaders, we know we start to tell ourselves these stories and we help them realize what that the story is. And then, like you said, well, what's the evidence? Well, there actually isn't a lot of evidence. And then, so we're able to get people out of, you know, coaches are able to help sports coaches get, get, get out of this kind of these, these, you know, Nate and I have been talking on the podcast uh, for the last few months, these mind traps, you know, where they just, just that, that don't serve us. You, you saw such a need in your coaching journey at the college level for coaching coaches. You know, when you think about the, the need that just really pulls to you as you work with um, coaches today, like what are some of these shared common struggles, challenges that you're able to lean in and provide value in? Because I think 
just even you articulating that will be just powerful for a lot of other coaches to hear, you know, that, Hey, you know, Betsy works with all these high level coaches and they're, they're going through maybe some similar stuff that I'm going through. It's fascinating, JP, post COVID specifically. And I'll say, I think it was starting to happen before COVID. It's been amplified through the pandemic. Coaching today across sport, at least here in the United States, is not what it was eight years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years, 20 years ago. And not just the shift from transactional to transformational. The amount of access that student athletes, parents, um, random people on, you know, X formerly known as Twitter, the, the way that voices have been amplified in spaces that lack context, lack information, lack even relationship. What used to be a conversation is now often an investigation. And disproportionately so between male and female coaches, male and female programs. It's scary to me that the number of athletes that have said transparently, Betsy, we're trying to get our coach fired. When I listen to administrators share with me some of what comes back on end of season feedback forms, even the language that individuals, again, whether an athlete or parent, have learned to use those trigger words that cause administration to take seriously whatever has been said, the lack of context by which we make decisions about a coach's career. It's a scary time to be a coach. And I'll say, unfortunately, that is the thing that I've, I've come to understand specifically over the last two years. So many individuals are getting out of coaching because it's, it's not worth it. And when I say not worth it, the reason that they got into coaching to make a positive difference in an individual's life, ideally for the rest of their life, they're no longer able to do that because they're operating out of fear. They're afraid of saying the wrong thing, even with good intention, because this one time they said this thing and then it became a big deal and then it was an investigation. And even though they were not found guilty of any wrongdoing, it's tarnished not only their career and reputation, but also the way that they're able to operate with trust within their environment. It's so sad to me when I hear coaches talk about, I don't know how to show up in front of my team anymore because being who I am was not acceptable. And so now I don't know who to be or how to be or I'm worried about when the next thing is gonna come. Like there's, there's so much fear for a lot of coaches at all levels and it makes sense to me. And, and I say often, look, if you tell me that you wanna get out of coaching, what I would probably say is, I understand, I get it. And if you tell me you wanna stay in coaching, let's figure out how, what needs to be true in order for you to show up authentically and to know that however this ends, whether you leave the coaching profession by your own choice or by a decision made by somebody else, that you feel like you were doing the best that you could with what you had and staying true to, to yourself and to what you feel is best for the people in your program. Coach, if creating a great culture is overwhelming for you or just simply seems like a roll of the dice every year, then you need to check out my book, The Culture System, which will teach you to develop your leadership philosophy and stay grounded while also growing and evolving. It will help you to grow and strengthen your relationships with your team members as well as empower your team to help you establish support and enforce high standards. Lastly, it will help you create a customized culture system for your team and implement it layer by layer. It's available on Amazon and Apple Books. You can learn more about it and download the bonuses at my website, tocculture.com. Yeah, and I think the thing that's coming up for me is it's, it's very challenging because there's obviously, like you said, there's this shift from transactional to transformational coaching and coaches are being held to a higher standard. They're being held accountable, which... I think we'd all argue it's a, it's a good thing, right? Like we needed 
to move on from the days of the Bobby Knight type of coaching behaviors. And, and we needed to move on from that, but it's almost like you said, it's like, it's gone so much. This one thing now coaches are so afraid of how to show up and be themselves. As much as we look at what's happening, we also need to look at what's not happening or not yet happening. And for me, what's not yet happening is that coaches are being giving training and resources to meet or exceed the new expectations that are being placed on them. And if you ask any coach, they'll say, it's not just the X's and O's of my sport anymore, Betsy. It's, I need to be a mental health professional. I need to be a therapist. I need to be a pseudo parent. I need to be also a friend. I need to, be, you know, it's all these things that, that weren't as highly prioritized parts of the job description or simply not in the job description before. I think we've done so much to support student athlete well-being or athlete well-being. And I know that there's still challenges there as far as resources. Like even if you have a sports psychologist or many, it might be a week or two or more before an individual can actually get an appointment with those resources. Many coaches know that there's a sports psychologist available that they could see, but they also know that there's athletes on their team that are waiting weeks for an appointment and they're never going to take a spot away from someone on the athlete side that needs one. So I think we, when I say we need to look at what's not happening, I think until we have dedicated resources in-house across institutions strictly for coach support and coach well-being to help them manage the increased expectations skillfully, to teach them tools, to be whoever they need to be in the environment that they are asked to be that person in, until we can provide that, we're going to continue to see coaches getting out of the coaching profession. Well, I want to connect that, Betsy, back to something that you talked about all the way back in an earlier part of your story about sort of being forced to learn to sit with other people's discomfort or feeling, you know, their circumstances and empathizing without it necessarily affecting you in the same way. And as you're describing there, you know, the fears that creep into a coach's mind, and I, I could identify with a lot of that through some of my own experiences, I think one of the biggest challenges for coaches is players that are no longer willing to sit with those feelings themselves. So what motivates a group of athletes to want to push a coach out is because of what well, they feel X, Y, or Z. And therefore they find the language as you talked about to justify a change rather than, you know, accepting that as just, this is part of the experience and how can we become more resilient, you know, to grow through that. And I think for me, you know, as I just look back over the, challenges of my own, you know, last four or five years at times, that's one of the sticking points that becomes so challenging, you know, is how do we encourage players to grow through that resiliency without jumping in the portal, giving up on the sport, going to the administration, et cetera. Yeah. And there's so many different layers to this, Nate. And I, I love that question. A few different elements for me that are important for coaches who I know, and I would, I would hope that this is most people. I want a coach to be able to coach as their authentic self. Now the challenge arises when their authentic self doesn't match with who their administration says they need to be or who their student athletes have taken them to be. So I often tell coaches, you can be whoever you are, so long as you have made it very clear who that is, that you show up in that way consistently, and that you have given your athletes the opportunity to opt out of playing for who you are, right? So. They have to know what they're signing up for, truly know what they're signing up for, not the recruiting version of what they're signing up for. When you're on your best behavior, they have to know 
transparently what it is that they're signing up for. When they've said yes to signing up for that, now we can have a different conversation. On the athlete side, same thing. If you notice something that for you is uncomfortable, so you talk about that sitting with suffering, I'm not asking student athletes to stay in a place that's detrimental to their health and well-being. What I'm inviting them to do is, have you made your coach aware that this is an issue for you? That the way that you're currently interacting, the way that you're experiencing coaching is having a certain impact or effect on you. If we're not having that conversation, we are not setting either party up for success. And so what we often see is unexpected, you know, jump into the transfer portal or investigation allegations escalate in terms of, and that's why I say what used to be a conversation or even what could now be a conversation is, are we having the conversations as part of a program, as part of a culture with shared pursuits? Are we talking about the things that work and don't work for us? And are we also having the conversation around shared expectations? Have we made it very clear between coach and athlete? This is what's expected of our different roles. Here's what you can expect of me as your coach. Here's what I expect of you as your athletes. Here's what I don't expect. And here's what I, I would ask you not to expect of me. And then in the moments where we miss each other, is it a conversation? Have we given each other intentionally the tools to be able to share that space? If we haven't, it's probably going to be very challenging for people to not only show up authentically, but also engage in the difficult conversations when it's around situations that, that matter most, specifically ones that impact either coach or athlete well-being. Well, Betsy, I think that's a really good spot for us to kind of wrap this up here. This is not going to be our last conversation with you as there's exciting stuff ahead uh, for the three of us. One thing I think is really important is that just coming back to what you said, you know, a few minutes ago is that, you know, there needs to be the support for coaches. If we're going to hold coaches to the standard, right? We can only account for co uh, hold coaches accountable to that, those types of things. If as, as long as we're giving them the education, the training, and the support. And I think that's why the three of us are so passionate about what we do in our work with coaches. Um, because we've been in there, we know coaches, we know that we know uh, what they need. And, and so hopefully, hopefully more administrations and, and organizations continue to get behind, you know, coach support that's effective and that works. So um, thank you so much for coming on uh, the podcast and, and being here with us. And um, we're going to put all your details in, in the episode here for people that do want to reach out and learn more about you and, and follow you on Instagram and, and uh, social. All right. That's it for our conversation with Betsy. I just want to encourage you to check out more of her stuff at BetsyButterick.com. She has some great free resources there as well as on YouTube. She has a really impactful video series. You can also follow her on Instagram. As you look towards 2024, we'll hope you'll consider investing in coaching for yourself with someone like Betsy or myself. Betsy is world-class at what she does, and my relationship with her has already made me a better leadership coach. So reach out to her at BetsyButterick.com. Thanks again for listening in to the Coaching Culture Podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, share this episode if you found it valuable, and leave us a review to help us spread the word about transformational leadership and transformational cultures.